It is Thursday again, and this means here is John and Matt from Plastic Climate Future.com. Yeah, we're getting better, man. We are, I mean, slowly, the chicks, slowly, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Dominique, you're laughing, but the chicks did it, you know, we're getting good <laughs> feedback, it's good for us, we're working, you know, and we need all the help we can get, so, anyway, the only way yeah. to here is up, so, welcome, buddy. <laughs> welcome, uh, today it's, as I said, Thursday again, and uh, it's the place to engage in two trustful discussions around plastics tonight, and uh especially the science and some solutions that take us all into a, hopefully a more sustainable future with plastics. And today we will talk about one of such solutions with our guest from Switzerland, wow. Dominic. Hello, Dominic. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome Hello, everyone. Dominic. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Good to meet you. And thanks so much for having me on the podcast tonight. <laughs> thanks, thanks. So, uh, where are you sitting at the moment? Switzerland, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I'm um, sitting in my room in Bern, just, uh, yeah, starting off my night and, um, yeah, sort of, like, excited to to see what's coming. Great, great. Oh, thanks a lot for, for, for agreeing to talk to us tonight. I think it's going to be really interesting because you have some really interesting activities going on around circular economy, plastics, and also, as I know, because I looked at your LinkedIn profile, for example, um, about your passionate career. Uh, I don't know, can I say like a mix between environmental activist and entrepreneur? Maybe I start with a question. What was your motivation to engage actively into protecting the climate maybe you can guide us quickly through some of the stations yeah. on this journey yeah yeah and and just quickly i i would say in one sentence you know we would we were asking you know why why are you doing this and why do you care why do you care yeah more than happy to talk about this a little bit and and maybe just to comment on on, on your bit matt i i'm not sure if i would see myself as an environmental activist i i always try to be on the more let's say neutral side of things because uh, -huh. uh from my nationality you would probably connect the dots and see why um <laughs> but Switzerland, I, right exactly yeah <laughs> uh, well i i must say that um i i always had a close connection with nature also because i literally grew up in a space that was next to nature with a beautiful lake beautiful river um when i show some picture to my international friends they sometimes think that my parents and my childhood uh, happened in a disney movie <laughs> and uh it, it's it was like that was one of the reasons why i think i always had a really close connection with uh with the environment and also because of my parents who were really passionate about gardening and uh taking my sister and myself out to nature and uh, go out for hikes and skiing uh, i think i i always had this bit in my brain that i should somehow um try to give back and uh, not lose the connection with what actually makes our our, our planet so unique uh, but then despite this sort of insight, I still decided to start off in the financial industry, which is sort of the best thing that I think most uh, Swiss ambitious young uh, people have or step into. And uh, I joined 
an insurance company when I was 18 because I wanted to learn about the situation that real professionals face day to day. And I really enjoyed my work as a product manager there, but then eventually decided after a couple of years at uni that I would like to spend more of my energy and my time on dealing with some real pressing problems that we have as a society and also as a, uh, as a planet, as opposed to continuing optimizing margins for insurance products. And that's when I sort of made the, the switch to like, uh, yeah, more environmental and more say, passion driven um, career. And maybe just as a side note, I always try to stay in touch with some movements and some groups that were active in the space because I wanted to, to, to learn more about it. I was always really interested in, in, in the science behind climate change and also this, the science and the people behind the work that was going on. Because in the early days, I think I always associated doing good for the planet with being uh, like a very being 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 someone who's like working for a non-profit and not really you know uh, using the economic principles that 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 i learned at uni and i sort of wanted to challenge myself to discover if that's really the case of or if there are people who actually understand how you can make money and how you can build a business that also employs people and uh, leads mm -hmm. to some social benefits in addition to protecting the environment yeah, wow. yeah i mean that's well that's interesting i mean i, I think we have to find a way right yeah, but I, how old were you when you when you decided to leave the insurance business? Uh, I was twenty four. So you twenty four, you already were so focused, and you already had this clear uh, awareness. And uh, I think that's that's really amazing. So um, we've we've been talking to Lola Sagers, and uh, she's she she's even much younger than you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just wanted sorry. to say I wouldn't I wouldn't think that 24 is really young to start uh, well, with these, well, for uh, us I think for for, yeah. for me 24 but with, with, with the new generation really young yeah, yeah. right yeah, but, but I think now now we're, we're John we're 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 seeing that generational gap come closing uh, no no actually expanding <laughs> yeah. yeah that's like that's that's why I think this is this is really the the passion part of maybe mm. yeah environmental activism is a bit too too strong to mention this but definitely you were active like actively pushing into this direction and I think that's 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 really remarkable um and uh because you said you were you were uh, also in touch with organizations and looking into different active groups and uh i saw also that you joined the swiss youth for climate movement um what was the motivation behind it yeah the motivation behind this was really i think um to to challenge myself and to learn what was going on on this rather like activist side of things. But I must be very honest that I didn't really uh, participate in too many sessions because there was not a lot going on in our local chapter. Mm -hmm. I just remember the first, um, let's say, event that I attended, which was basically watching a movie called Geostorm, which mm -hmm. is about uh, this like extreme catastrophes that are happening because there was like a lot of geoengineering going on with some mirrors reflecting. Yeah. Uh, so the radiation from space and then they just go crazy and destroy the entire planet and everyone dies. And then we had a scientist um, at the event who was answering questions about geoengineering. Uh -huh. And I was a little, I was a little confused on, after this event because I didn't know what to think. 
and uh, yeah. after this, I sort of uh, moved on. So I would say it was probably not my best experience um, that I had in like let's say non-profit <laughs> groups. No yeah, offense I mean, to to Swiss Youth for Climate, but <laughs> and I think it was just not this best the best night to be there. Wow, that's it. That, can can I say something? I mean, that that really that's it. That's it. A good uh, uh, recent. Uh, well, uh, I don't want to say memory, but that's what it is for me. I mean, uh, you know, uh, this uh, step into let's say pseudoscience. <laughs> you know, the science fiction and some kind of reflection of fears of some people about technology and the future. You know. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, I, I can laugh about it and show some scars from this, uh, but but also, uh, you know, it, it, it also you can actually apply it to, you know, uh, what you're doing, what we're doing, you know, and, and bring it down to bring it down to earth, you know, and and, uh, you know, um, you know, we, we we're, we're based here at Plastic Climate Future, you know, about you know, the engagement based on good faith, you know, reaching out and saying, hey, man, good faith. Uh, and, and based on science and based on viability, but based on science, we keep coming back to science. Yeah. yeah. Science. So Matt, take it over. I'm not, I'm not going to bat battle, but, uh, but uh, I'm excited to engage. Yeah. Go on, Matt. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> so after this trauma uh, or partly traumatized uh, experience, uh, you decided actually to. Uh, challenge yourself in a very active way, I think, no? because um, you are now on the mission to reduce the plastic footprint of companies with your company that you co-founded, and that's called Amplify. So, exactly. what are you doing there exactly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to start with a small introduction and then happy to uh, go into more detail and clarify the yeah the questions because for a lot of people i don't think it's like very obvious when you tell people that you're helping brands to reduce their plastic footprint but in essence what we help brands to do is to really understand their use of plastics in the first place and then use this understanding to inform potential areas of improvements that they could identify and lastly we also help them communicate to make sure that they can grow the movement to accelerate the circular economy and we do this with uh with the software uh, and also a consulting service where we help brands to, to use their data to really get into the intricacies of their footprint and then start the conversation with different solution providers to implement initiatives and also report to different legal authorities and sustainability frameworks. Mm. So basically, like when you hear about it, that's the first uh, thing that comes to, comes to mind is we're using carbon footprint. And uh, on the other hand, when you when you look at uh, at the environment and and industrial environment as well, and then you see how much plastics is being in use every day, you kind of transfer the whole concept and, and say, okay, look look at your plastic uh, usage and and this is your plastic footprint and uh we we create the awareness but also provide the tools to actually measure it right exactly it is uh very much inspired by the by the carbon and greenhouse gas mm -hmm. markets or let's say industries and um the situation that we're currently seeing is that the most of the actors in the space have this carbon tunnel vision where they mainly want mm -hmm. to measure and understand their carbon emissions 
but mm -hmm. often it already stops at carbon. It doesn't even go further to other greenhouse gases. And uh, looking at materials is something completely new anyway, because mm -hmm. the circular economy is just about to be uh, to enter the limelight, uh, as we see in different countries and also in the minds of the people. So I think we're at a slightly uh, less mature face of this mm -hmm. journey, but it's also very exciting because we can help form this market and start with educating people about the necessity and also the massive potential and opportunities that come with it. You know, I, if I could just say something here about circularity, I mean, I could not agree with you, you more, Dominique, about this is uh, the uh, seed corn is in the ground and, and, and the plants are coming up, you know, and I connect with you on that 100 percent. The, the very remarkable thing here is that uh, we talked about it also in one of our earlier podcasts is that especially measuring what you want to change is very important because uh, we I know it from circularity that it's difficult it's a it's new all new concepts as you just mentioned and mm -hmm. to it's might be easy to understand in theory but whenever you want to apply something and you want to actually implement circularity principles and and aspects and uh, also in the recycling space you need to have some data and the the, the big challenge is now what what are the indicators so mm -hmm. i think <laughs> for me super interesting question would be how do you or uh, which indicators do you use to measure the plastic footprint do you have like specific uh you know units or or uh yeah indicators like like mass uh plastic toxicity of the materials and stuff like this or it's is, is it a whole set of different uh indicators that you put in a, into one score for example that's a really, really good and really important question that you bring up here. And the uh, important bit to, uh, to take up front is that there is still a lack of standardization when it comes to the real metrics yeah, that yeah, should yeah. be used, um, A, as inputs, but then also B, as outputs, because I think we have to differentiate there as well. Like, what are the numbers that we use for the assessment? And then what are the metrics that companies, but also countries share externally to eventually allow for comparisons? And um, when 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 focusing on the first side of the of the of the journey, we would we would look at areas that are relatively similar to the carbon accounting space, where we also abide by a similar concept to the scopes one, two, three, essentially defining the boundaries and the different areas where a brand can use plastics for certain applications, whether this is packaging or operational use or potentially distribution or let's say more durable materials in their supply chain. So we we have a methodology that is, is used by various other organizations as well, where we split the different boundaries and different sectors of plastic use uh, up into these entities. And then based on these sectors, we start with a mass balance or with a mass approach, where we first quantify the, the mass of the different types of characteristics of plastics. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the mass, we also break it down into the different characteristics, as I mentioned before, because 
like one thing that's a little different compared to the greenhouse gas space where you have the CO2 equivalents as a major metrics. Um, for, for plastics, you can also have like the mass, name it metric tons as a major metrics. But then the challenge is that one metric ton of HDPE um, is probably not the same as one metric ton of a multi-layered uh, material and that makes it a little bit more tricky and that comes up with the necessity brings up the necessity to also break down these different quantities into different areas so that you can provide as you as you indicated to in the beginning a, a range of different metrics and then make sure that the ones that are actually relevant can be used by the stakeholder for a certain uh, application that they want them to use. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is because the focus is on a sustainable use of materials in the end. So, and the sustainable mm -hmm. use of materials, but thought in a cycle. So it's kind of on the feedstock side, but also, as you just mentioned, Dominic, from the feedstock, but also you have to look to the, to, to, to on the output and uh, to really have a benchmark and 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 know where to start and where to stop you need to have some numbers and i think this is that's that's why i was interested so much um in uh, the indicators that that you're using mm -hmm. um and what what you also mentioned is that you you can group them also and look into different sectors and different industries so do you see or maybe you intentionally do it, but have you seen already that there is kind of overlaps between different industries so that actually you discover new synergies when looking into measurable indicators for, for these super new uh, approaches? Because, you know, as I said, like everyone maybe knows carbon footprint, maybe someone knows circular economy, but if you say plastic footprint, it's probably super rare that someone will will uh, will be able to understand that right definitely yeah definitely and maybe um yeah i think there are a, a bunch of things that i should just quickly comment on to clarify the the work that we're doing uh, at, at mm -hmm. amplify and one really important thing is that in the middle of all the activities that we make is a consumer brand so like mm -hmm. we we see consumer brand as a real catalyst for change because a they have to change because they're pressured by consumers, investors, and regulators all over the world, and they want to see them move, and they ask them to move today. And on the other hand, they are also connected with their upstream suppliers up to the downstream sort of actors that are then uh, sort of, you know, uh, responsible for processing the waste. And that's where the entire concept of extended producer responsibility came from. Of course, yeah. it's also a little bit more upstream with the manufacturers or producers, but also the brands are increasingly held accountable for, for these things. And um, by, by helping the brands really take all of the actions they can take to eventually accelerate the circular economy, we're helping them go the full nine yards when it comes to thinking about all different types of engaging, whether this is looking at their own supply chain to reduce materials where this is possible or eventually optimize some of the materials by increasingly sourcing, let's say, chemically recycled content or me mechanically recycled content up to a level where they can potentially make streamlined investments into grassroots collection activities or mm -hmm. new technologies and infrastructure. Um, this is the whole range where brands are currently thinking about acting on, 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 on plastic waste and also circular mm -hmm. economy. And it can get really confusing. That's 
that's why we come in as a service provider that yes uses technology but we also act as a consultant who really helps the brands uh, connect the dots and holds their hand throughout the entire process um, that's just to briefly comment on John's bit but now I'm happy yeah. to briefly touch upon the sort of metrics and the measurement mm -hmm. side of things and here, um, just to clarify what I meant before, we are not necessarily focusing on different industries as of, you know, like um, heavy, heavy, heavy metal industry and then uh, also music industry and sports and consumer packaging. We're mainly focusing on consumer brands, meaning that beauty, mm -hmm. personal care, food and beverage mm -hmm. and all of these areas. And the different areas that we use to split it up are the supply chain activities, essentially. So we provide a breakdown of plastic waste generation for the post-consumer materials that are disposed of, but then also for the materials that are disposed of in the operational state up to the upstream materials that are disposed of there uh, in the control of their suppliers. So it's more of a, a breakdown of the different activities than a breakdown of sectors. And then mm -hmm. when it comes to actually understanding what it means uh, to have like a footprint and also some other metrics that can be used, I think it always depends a bit on the audience. Um, when we look at media and when we look at the current word of mouth, um, the word plastic footprint is usually associated with the quantity of plastic waste generation in metric tons. But uh, some like some some niche conversations and some forums who challenge these definitions would go uh, further and say that you should also look at the leakage, for instance, and say, okay, these are the metric zones that are at risk of leaking into nature. And some others are even quantifying the ecosystem impact on mm -hmm. biodiversity and societies and economies um, in a case where these plastics are leaked. And um, that's how far we go as Amplify, but we fully understand that not every single actor likes to go down this rabbit hole. And then just to add one more thing, um, in terms of really quantifiable metrics, and that also I think segues nicely into this uh, higher level discussion about ESG and integration with impact investing and uh, sustainability metrics and, and, and carbon. Um, there are a bunch of metrics that are currently, I think, discussed. One is the, the percentage of recycled content that is increasingly relevant for of for governmental authorities. For instance, in the in the UK, with the upcoming plastic packaging tax, the major metrics of relevance is the percentage of recycled content, and uh, in other cases, uh, companies and and uh, other other investors are also looking at metrics, inc including. Uh, let's say, for instance, the in, the investments made in in, okay. in infrastructure, but also potentially the percentage of bio-based materials or um, the biodegradability of of the materials. So there's a real range. We have a, like a suite of metrics that that we could offer, but it always depends on the final use case, at least from our experience. Wow. Yeah, yeah and I mean, you're you're cool. setting a stone. Great. Yeah, great stone. You're setting the stone now in the, mm. in the path, which will be probably even more important once all these standards are in place and once all these regulations that now appear from from country to country. Uh, here a bit of CO2 tax, here recycling content mm -hmm. uh, regulations and so on. But I think this this is just starting at the moment. Yeah. And then you will be there with uh, with a system that can actually measure this because companies will have to do it eventually right mm -hmm. um and is it also what what you just said um kind of coming to one statement that i that i've uh, read on the internet that you made and, and I, I thought it's it's very inspiring and and uh uh aspires to think about it because you said how can we reach 
our goals if we pollute or burn down the pathway to get there. And that's that's kind of uh, showing the the meaning of of your work also for you know the the for everyone like for the community and also the consumers and and in the end the, the, the to the creation of a sustainable future right. I appreciate that. Thanks uh, for these kind <laughs> words and um and yeah I hope so. Well, um, I think it goes back to the science fiction area that I had before because I always <laughs> like to think about complex problems in, in visual ways and in here I think it's an obvious connection with our current state of the world specifically in Switzerland people think that we don't have a problem with plastic waste because we don't landfill but we just incinerate everything <laughs> I mean not everything to be frank we have I think our recycling rate is 12 percent uh, or was 12 percent last year whatever that means depending on the sort of um, way how it was measured but that mainly holds true for PET bottles. All the rest mm. is still incinerated and used for yeah. energy generation. Yeah. Do you think, Dominic, uh, there is enough touch points? Because now we, as 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 being interested and, and maybe educated people in this field, this is something that we can talk about for, for hours, as, as, as you know. But uh, do you think also there is enough touch points between the different stakeholder groups, because it's not only industry, but it also has to has to be communicated, and and there has to be synergies with regulators and also the the general public. Um, or is there ways that we could improve this communication and education between the different stakeholder groups in order to accelerate the the understanding through also your your uh, approaches where you, where you create a database and where you create tangible indicators that make it easier to understand the the burden the the costs and also the the impacts of materials in the future absolutely there is a there's a massive potential i think to to collaborate more and also to 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 spread the word more 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 actively what I, what excites me the most about the circular economy compared to the let's say conventional sustainability space is that the circular economy is just extremely inclusive because i just had this conversation with uh with a, a researcher from from germany and he told me that he's involved in the implementation of a new circular economy law in germany that is uh, implemented in the coming years mm -hmm. and um he told me that they're still in a state where they where they were trying to figure out who would actually lead this implementation if it would be the ministry of the environment or the ministry of finance or the ministry of industrial engineering or whatever that exists because it's, it has so many overlaps and only by design i think the circular economy space and the entire um yeah, I think a speed or let's say journey towards uh, towards a world where we design out the concept of waste has to build upon shared values and also a shared understanding. And uh, it starts with personally, I, I believe that it starts from a top-down approach. We have we need to clear frameworks. We need to have a, an equal level playing field that is defined by the governments. But we also need the private sector to move. And we need individuals to support the private sector in moving and support the public sector in accepting their principles and sort of uh, sharing these values. And I'm not saying that it's one way. Also here, as, as John mentioned before, with the, with the solutions, there is no silver bullet in terms of starting with engagement. But um, I think like if we empower the private sector to start first and 
move move forward um, without waiting for the public sector to come up with the perfectly standardized metrics and frameworks mm -hmm. while supporting them to do so through engagement and also progressive lobbying, meaning that they don't spend millions of, uh, of euros or, or dollars in other places of the world to, to, to fight um, for like a, a maintenance of fossil fuel subsidies, then I think we can effectively move forward. And that's, I think, really what we live for and what we, what we want to do is amplify that. We want to, mm -hmm. to help the private sector move forward while supporting the public sector to act without mm -hmm. waiting for these five to six years that are probably needed yeah. to come up with the perfectly internationally aligned metrics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 that, that's really also uh, uh, refreshing to hear and see. And, and I agree with you, man. I mean, uh, the solution is requiring or, or the problem is requiring solutions uh, uh, now. Yeah. And, and, and uh, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, meaning that We've got to have the. We have to lean forward. You're a skier, right? You have to lean. We have to lean forward on the skis right now, uh, and, and we have to do that in, in the, the best way. Meaning, you know, without trying, you know, minimizing mistakes. You know, so so yes, but but we got to lean forward on the skis uh, in terms of of testing. You know, investing in, in development of technologies, testing them, bringing them. You know, to uh, to trial and markets, really seeing if we can get this to work. Da da da. So um, I'm fully, I fully agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and I think it's it, it also connects one thing that interests me very from a, from also a personal point of view because that's what well, that's what you mentioned. You have to bring the private sector and the public sector, and of course, you need also funding for it. You need someone. You need rules that that help to flow to direct the the funding into the right directions and also investments into the right directions. Um, and and what I've also seen on your profile is that you've been uh, you have experience as an ESG analyst. I think it's still coming from your insurance business. Um, and uh, do you think this is this whole ESG topic um, is is a way that helps to build the framework to you know really drive also the, the the investment sites into the into the right direction and what is the role of circular economy in the end to 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 achieve esg goals and and is does it play a significant role in this also this is also an important question or is it just a uh, a small drop on the hot stone definitely it's a good one and um yeah, so I started engaging in ESG when I was still at the insurance company and I wrote my bachelor thesis about integrating oh. ESG criteria um, in the asset management sort of side of the insurance mm -hmm. business. And then when I started my master's, I interned for a company that was specifically looking at um, investment funds that avoid carbon emissions. And they also looked at into ESG. So that's sort of where my uh, limited experience is coming from as an ESG analyst. But um Personally, and also what, I, what I've seen in the last couple of years, ESG is increasingly used as a tool for risk mitigation. Um, and personally, I don't really believe in ESG as a, as a concept to, 
to measure the the upside potential because of course mm-hmm. you can argue that with um being more active on the environmental social and governance side of things um you can you can increase your revenues and you'll get a higher loyalty of your existing clients and all of this but there are many studies that also um sort of question the assumptions that some of these uh scientists make and uh, i personally don't have a really strong opinion uh, if that's really material or not Um, whereas for the risk mitigation side of things, I'm like strongly convinced that ESG is like a, a massive thing that is necessary to consider because at the end of the day, when you look at the valuations of the companies today, uh, a massive amount of the valuation is coming from goodwill and the sort of intangible um, assets that the companies have. And like all the reputational risk that comes with it is definitely, I think, very relevant and material to all of these companies. And in addition to the reputational risk and then sort of connecting the dots with the circular economy, I think the analysis of data also allows you to identify inefficiencies and areas for improvement and areas for cost reduction. And specifically when we when we look at numbers or data points or metrics that can be used in an ESG disclosure framework, um, they can probably also be used in a circular economy setting. Mm-hmm. And when you think about them in a, from a circular economy point of view and potentially ask yourself how you could improve your performance by reusing materials or how you can improve your uh, social performance by eventually engaging with your customers to correctly dispose of your products or recycle your products, it's uh, likely affecting both both sides of the puzzle, including your like ESG performance, but then also your um, bottom line financially, but also your circular economy performance. So um, yeah, I know that was a little fluffy. I'm not sure if that helps. Uh, I think there's obviously a lot of fluff uh, in the discussions that we that we hear, and that's uh, something that is just there. Um, but really, quantitatively speaking, um, it all comes down to the to the numbers that I think can yeah, be yeah. in many different areas, um, including ESG and including um, the circular economy transition. And I think that the interesting thing about it, and, and maybe that's that's a closing point for, for, for today's discussion, um, is that approaches like yours, which bring in the whole material topic, like materials that dominate our lives from products, from, from usage, uh, through concepts like that, that, that put some numbers in that, that, that help to measure the impact and the material cost and also the circularity. I think this is these uh, missing dots that connect uh, met- metrics like ESG, which, which, which uh, can be used to, to measure, uh, to, to, to mitigate risk and, and, and to also you know, control actually the financial world with, with the material world in the end. Um, and circular economy is, is, is certainly something that uh, helps people to, to understand it because these are quite tangible concepts and also bring it all together um, and, and, and help to, to develop solutions that are more holistic than if each stakeholder group uh, or party like regulators, financials, scientists would work separately from each other. Oh, amazing! I, I I really like the 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 innovation innovative aspect also of this approach to to have a plastic footprint, which is probably not many podcasts talk about. 
<laughs> Thanks, um, I appreciate it, definitely. And maybe just one last thing from my yeah. side. Um, yes, I think plastic <clears throat> footprint is one of the keywords, but one keyword or like one area that I'm even more passionate about using is, is the concept of plastic accounting because it also mm -hmm. goes back to the initial like thing that you learn at, at, in every first class in economics or like business it's financial accounting and if you think about financial accounting where would we be today without financial accounting we wouldn't be anywhere how would you know anything if you didn't know how a company performs and uh, increasingly financial accounting was used in environmental accounting esg accounting all of these areas so why not using it in plastic accounting to do exactly the same thing inform decisions and um yeah, I think yeah, that's really yeah. that's really yeah. our big vision that we have to just sort of help companies manage their plastic data with the same rigor and transparency as they manage their financials. Yeah, yeah what what gets measured gets done in the end, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, then uh, finally we we have something over that, that we always have for for all <laughs> our guests in the end of the podcast and it's a contribution to our plastic climate future playlist on Spotify. And for this, we ask, and, and this is what we looking forward to each time when we have a new guest. So we ask everyone to name two or three songs that we could place on the playlist that kind of connect either to the person, the activities, or simply are a gift to the world uh, to, to listen to some inspiring sounds uh, that are connected to plastic climate future. Do you have something, Dominic? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, bringing this up. I, 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 I saw them on the chat, and I think um, I'm not sure. Like, I, I had a look at your playlist, and I'm not sure if they would be a good fit. Um, oh, but yeah. I personally, uh, it's a good I think it's perfect. We already, yeah. we already have a Swiss, uh, a Swiss singer already. Everything's welcome, brother. This is this is this adds greatly to the playlist. Yeah. So cool. so, but yeah, then you have to you, you still have to read them out because you know our listeners yes. are, are are not not going to read the chat. So. Yeah, exactly. I'm happy to do that. And um, the first one has to be in in, in uh, Schweizerdeutsch. Yeah, I'll do that. And so well, I'll read out the title and then just give one more sentence why I <laughs> I, I think these would be cool. Great. The first one is called Glassmunch. And it means uh, a human being made out of glass, essentially. And uh, I really like this song because in today's world where everything is very virtual, um, we often forget that it comes down to some real individuals who are moving the needle on the ground. And I always appreciate to make the connection from like virtual to, to physical reality. Uh, the second one is Lucky from Jason Rass. I really like this one for two reasons. One is because it, it makes me really happy when I uh, need some like external motivation. And the second one is that I think we, we, uh, it's a massive privilege to, to work on your own sort of like passion and vision. That's something that um, I didn't really recognize for a long time, but it's just, uh, I think being an entrepreneur and sort of trying to follow your, your vision and your passion is something that is unfortunately not possible for many people uh, in the world. And I think that's something to definitely recognize. And then the last one, final ascent from the, from the latest James Bond movie is, uh, is a song that is a classical music song that I listen to when I'm, um, I have to be very concentrated at work. And it's really, really nice and really epic because the end is, uh, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. And then it, <laughs> it ends up with a really good feeling and you're extremely motivated to move on. Um, so that's why I selected these three. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Great. 
Thanks, thanks. That's uh, that's gonna be on our playlist from cool. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Dominic. This was really an amazing discussion that we had today, um, yeah. especially the focus on measuring and communicating. Um, I guess if someone wants to find out more about you, they can probably find you on LinkedIn, and then uh, we will also link up your Amplify website in the show notes. And uh, thanks for listening to everyone else, and uh, we will follow your journey with Amplify, definitely. If, if I may say uh, on myself, just, yeah, thank you, Dominic. Nice to meet you. And uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And also best, uh, best wishes to, to you. It's really amazing to, to see the podcast growing. And I think it's really important to connect the dots between plastic climate future, because these three areas are extremely interconnected. And I'm, I'm glad to see that you're taking this on and um, starting to create action from the inside. We're having, yeah. we're having great fun. Man. Cool, appreciate it.